Good morning and welcome to the Premier Football Podcast. As always, I'm Rafe Garland and as always, I'm joined by Joseph Malachy Doherty. Joe, how are you getting on today? I'm I'm fine, Rafe James Garland. Thank you very much for asking. I know, um, being, being very formal today. We've got a jam-packed show. Um, obviously, the, the shenanigans, the VAR drama at, at Goodison Park is going to be at the top of the running order. Uh, we've got the goal fest between Chelsea and Southampton and... We couldn't, Joe, we couldn't get through the show without talking about Spurs and their their fantastic start to the game and, the, and their impl- Im- imposition, Im- imploding nature. I think that there's a word, there's some sort of word for when when a team takes off really, really well and then falls off at the end. Do you, do you, ha- do you know the term for that? I, I just checked my uh, the, the online dictionary there and, and the term that came up was Spursy. Ah, uh, that, that, that's the one. That's, yeah, that, that's yeah right. well for, for our listeners at home as well. Uh, before we do get started with the football, Joe, you're, you're not having a coffee on the show today. Do you want to tell us a little bit about why? Well, Rafe, I've, just, I've already had two coffees today. I had a cafetiere as soon as my son woke me up at half six in the morning. And then with, with breakfast just before nine, I, I, had a, um, I had an espresso. So I think that I'd, I'd, be having, I'd, be on, I'd be a little bit jittery if I was to have any more. And I might not be at my best, but it's great to see you on the coffee this morning, Rafe. That is the thing about coffee, though, isn't it? It seems to it seems to continually give you energy to the point where you have so much energy that it that it drains your energy. Uh, yeah, it, up to a certain point, it's fantastic, and I'm feeling great now. But if you overdo it, it just it it all goes in your body and gives you the shakes, and it's just not very nice, and it, it's it's not conducive to having a a forty minute chat about the Premier League, is it? You just won't be at your best. I would definitely agree with you there. Right, we'll get started with the football, will we? Let's do it. Right. Goodison Park, Everton 2, Liverpool 2. Obviously, there's a whole a whole host of, of drama associated with this game and, and controversial incidents and, and refereeing decisions. But there was some, some good football actually played in this game. And it was an interesting end-to-end game. And I suppose before we start lambasting referees and, and, and Stockley Park and stuff like that, this is one of the best Merseyside derbies that has been for years. Normally, when when Liverpool go to Goodison Park, it's Everton just doing absolutely everything they can not to get battered. They're facing eleven men behind the ball, kicking it long, just trying to cling on for a draw, and that that's not what they got. Um, I think you did a feature piece on on Everton last week, and and you spoke about kind of the the progression that they've had under Carlo Ancelotti, and I think that was really obvious and there to see it. And even though Liverpool were probably the better team through this game, they they dominated possession for the most part. That they, they could well have come away having lost that game because Everton created some really, really good chances. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the first thing we need to say is this is a very different Everton side. I mean, we Ancelotti is a massive upgrade on the likes of, of Koeman. I think Koeman's a bit of a fraud. I'm, I'm not entirely sure how he got himself the Netherlands job and then the Barcelona job, albeit the Netherlands are not in their, their greatest period of time. They haven't made a prop, they haven't made a, a, an international tournament since, what, the World Cup of 2014? So, um, and, and I think that obviously Sam- nobody wanted the Barcelona job was the other side of it yeah and the, the thing is it's probably going to be him having it for this year the presidential elections are obviously taking place next month and then more than likely unless he goes and do, does something incredible which is is probably not going to happen they're going to be he's going to be out of a job at the end of the season so you know they, they then had Sam Allardyce who's there for one reason and one reason only to keep them in the Premier League and then they had another fraudulent manager in Marco Silva Ancelotti is a different, a different kettle of fish entirely, and we've seen the the quality of player that he's able to to attract the likes of James Rodriguez and Alan, who've really revolutionised their their midfield, and they obviously went for Abdoulaye Decoré when they had a free one, they had a free run at Abdoulaye Decoré. We talked about this last week, and I talked about it midweek. It's it's ridiculous that they were able to get him. So it's it's a very different Everton. Uh, they gave Liverpool a great game. They were obviously fortunate, and we'll talk about that. But at the same time. They did very well, and they, in some ways they're a good value for a point. In in, in other ways they're they're fortunate. But it was good to see them actually give it a go, and um, it was a good game of football. You speak about Hamas Rodriguez there, and I, I I've actually watched every Everton game this season, and and he's an absolute joy to watch. He's he's one of my favorite players in, in the Premier League. He, he's just he's so subtle with everything that he does. He, he loves the the disguised passes, you know, the reverse passes where he's looking one way, playing it the other way around the corner. And it, it's it's just brilliant to watch. And and maybe the player on, on the other side that was doing that for Liverpool was Thiago in his first start for Liverpool looked absolutely magnificent. 
absolutely magnificent. And and the fact that these kind of players are coming to the Premier League and and, and playing good football, I, I think it's just so encouraging that the league is moving away from the the traditional. Uh, those kind of players can't do it in England. Maybe Leo Messi could actually even do it in England. Who knows? Yeah, we said that in the transfer talk we did before the season started that Messi would would kill it in the league. He obviously would. I have a question for you. You say you like James Rodriguez a lot. Why why do you like him but not Mesut Özil? I, I would say that they both play have a very similar game, and Özil loves those passes. If you look at it, a highlights reel of Özil, he so many of his passes are just guys' passes, really clever, deft touches. Yet he gets all of this criticism. Um, like why? Why, 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 why do you think I don't like Mesut Özil? Because you you say that he's shit all of the time. Well, he I is never, shit. He's not shit. He used to be very good, Joe. Back, back maybe three three years ago, he was an exceptional footballer. But I mean, anybody that that's talking up Mesut qualities at the moment is is living in the past. So yeah, I, I I wouldn't be talking up his qualities at the moment. I think I, I I just think that there are a lot of similarities about his style of play and James Rodriguez style. Yeah, of play. and if you go back and you watch some of his highlights and, and you see some of those great goals that he that he scored as well, where he's chipping the keeper and chipping defenders over and over again and weaving in and out. Like he, he's obviously a joy to watch, but I probably didn't give him enough credit at the time because I would have been talking to you about him and have, listening to you telling me how how brilliant he was the whole time. <laughs> Yeah, that can be frustrating. I get that. <laughs> um, um, no, but Hamas, I mean, so what I said in my piece midweek is that he, he's completely changed their style of play because his quality of ball through to the fullbacks and the on wrong uh, and uh, th- to the opposite winger and to uh, Coleman on his side or Dina on the other side are so good that it allows them to put in really good quality of crosses to Calvert Lewin. And that's what happened for, for his equaliser. I mean, Dinia, again, Dinia has got such a good delivery as well, and he's really come on, and he's just putting in serious balls. And when, when you have a player like that, whipping in crosses, and a player like Calvert-Lewin in the box, I mean, it's just such a dangerous combination. It's so difficult to stop. Yeah, for sure. I'm finished beating around the bush talking about the actual football man, because that, that's, yeah. that's not what we're here to do in this game. No, should we get into the controversy? <laughs> yeah. where, where, which one would you like to start with? I think we need to start with the, with, uh, the Pickford incident. I mean, come on, this is a joke. Is it, it is. I mean, for a start, I don't think Van Dyke was offside. I think that that, 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 that was a really, really harsh call. There was no clear and obvious offside for me. What did you think about that? Look, I think we're going to talk a lot about offside in a minute, especially with the, with the other goal. I, I, I can understand Van Dyke being ruled offside because of the letter of the law. I don't think it's as bad as the other one. So we're just going to we're gonna ignore the offside for a minute and just say, right, look, he was offside. Given the fact that he was offside, we'll, we'll, we'll analyse it under those circumstances. It's still a red card, regardless of whether he's offside or not. It might not be a penalty. And I think VAR clarified yesterday that they did check the penalty, but they didn't actually check for a red card incident because it wasn't deemed... Uh, violent conduct. Yeah, it, it was a serious foul play, which is a discretionary, um, a discretionary decision for the referee. Yeah. You think, and, and this is something that we've seen a lot of this year, is you think that the referee would have been advised to go and look at the monitor with regards to that incident. I think that the people in in Stockley Park, whatever his name is, Coote, um, who's done all sorts of terrible things to Liverpool in, in the games that he's been in charge. There's, there's a mad list of, of games that he's been in charge of for Liverpool. And, and he, sees, <laughs> he seems to have a bad decision for them in every single one of them. So how he's still getting the games. Do you know, actually, he, he was a championship referee, Joe, that holds the record for the highest number of f- failed fitness tests for a Premier League referee. Wow. That's yeah. shocking. Is yeah. he the referee who you put up? He is, isn't he? You put up a photo of his Facebook page. And it's his his cover photo is a picture of him at Old Trafford, smiling, big United fan. Yeah, I I I, I heard suggestions that that picture might not be a real picture, but okay, I, I I'm not too sure. But anyway, look, he the referee should have checked should have checked the pitch side monitor for yeah. the for for the tackle on Van Dyke because even if there was an offence before we saw it with the Richardson one at the end, the referee had blown the whistle before Richardson made made contact with Thiago for a previous foul. Mm. And he was still given a straight red card for the for for the um, serious foul play because that's what it was. And it, it was he obviously there, there was obviously 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 
a massive endangerment. And I don't know how the referee missed it in real time either, because he was in a fantastic position. He was it, it was right on top of him. So I, I'm I, I'm so confused and perplexed that there was no action taken initially by the referee that the VAR didn't either suggest a red card or suggest that he go and look at it. So I think that there's massive failings there. There's questions over the offside lines being drawn on the pitch. And and ultimately, I know that even if he had been given the red card, it wouldn't it wouldn't change the 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 nature of the injury to Van Dyke, who's obviously looking at seven to nine months out with a grade three ACL tear. You know, and the the, the these rules are in place to protect players from injuries like that, from tackles like that, because if they, the idea is if they don't go punished, they're allowed to continue happening. And uh, Jamie Carragher yesterday came out in Sky Sports and said that 99 times out of 100, these tackles aren't malicious. The, the fellow pros don't go out to hurt each other. And I think that he's right. I think that Pickford is in a terrible run of form at the moment. For the last year, he's been making stupid, crazy decisions all over the place. I don't think he went, I'm going to snap Virgil van Dijk in half here. I just think he launched himself with with no regard for what was happening um, at the ball. But when, when you launch yourself with with no regard for, for the consequences, you're endangering the safety of, of fellow pros. Yeah, listen, we've all played football, and I'd say that everyone listening to this has played football as well. You know, you never go out to, to hurt someone, but accidents happen. You and I have both been in leg casts from, from, from tackles. People don't, when you see the ball there, you have a, a second to make a decision, and, and often you'll make a rash one, and that's what Pickford did. He didn't go out to, 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 to do Van Dyke's ACL, but like you said, his bre- he's, not, he's not in good form. His brain's not working as it, as it should be. If he was confident and if he was in good form, you'd say that he probably wouldn't be making a decision like that. But he goes and he makes that decision anyway, and he dives in rashly, and it's an awful tackle. I mean, he's at, his, he's at, he's at knee height. He's above knee height. It is, an, it is clear, dangerous, serious foul play. I mean, it's, did, did it remind you of how Cantona dove into the crowd? I know it's a little bit different, but like it's, <laughs> it's still a, it's a, flying it's a drop shocking kick. tackle. Yeah. It's an absolutely shocking tackle. It's a, it's a, no, no two ways about it. It's a straight red card. It's worse than Richardson tackle later on in the game. Yeah, I mean, I mean if, Roy, if, Roy, if Roy Keane had done that in the middle of the park, he'd be banned for eight games. Yeah, he would. He would. It's, it's, a, it's a dreadful tackle. It really is. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing not to give the penalty because the whistle would have already gone, but, but it's, a, it's quite another thing not to send him off. Where do you stand on, on a retrospective ban? Do you think it's opening a can of worms and it's very dangerous? It's a situation that the referee has seen, that VAR have checked, that they've decided on, on the day that there, that there should be no action taken. Do you think that the FA would be right to come in and, and put a sanction on top of them? Yes, I, th- I think in any sport you have to be ha- you you have to be held accountable if you make a if you do a fa- if you do something that's blatantly against the rules of the game. For for one hundred percent, I don't I don't think that it'll bring the game into disrepute if they go and uh, if they if they give him a ban for that. It quite quite the contrary. I think it's the correct decision. What what's the correct amount of games? Three. Yeah, it's for a straight red card. Yeah, yeah, three games. I don't think you need to be looking at anything more than that. It's not like he hit the guy, but it is serious foul play. Okay, right. We'll we'll move on to the other the other incidents, and and this one looks obviously seeing Virgil Van Dyke walk off left left a left left my my jaw dropped and, and left a hole in my heart, and I, and I was I was thinking, wow, this could be this could be really bad. Like, but then the emotions that that I felt when the last goal was ruled out. I don't know if I've ever felt anything like that watching football, Joe. I, I was ecstatic. You know, I, I had I had two screens going. I was doing college on one screen. I was watching the football on the other screen. I was in the middle of a lecture and I was literally bouncing around the room celebrating. I, I was completely jubilant. Jordan Henderson, the captain, pops up 93rd minute winner in the derby. You know, it, it's, it's been a really tight fought game end to end. Puts the goal in. It's it's what football is all about. We saw so many late goals in the Premier League this weekend. You know these these game changing moments that just had everybody. Obviously, there was no fans in the stadium, but you just know everybody watching at home. It was up, bouncing around their living rooms, screaming and shouting, enjoying it, feeling feeling the joy and the release that that football is for. And then for the decision to for it to be reviewed and and for you to see these these lines being drawn and even when you see the lines being drawn you think oh brilliant he's on side you know he's level that's the definition of level 
And then all of a sudden you see the, the red line being drawn literally along the blue line on the other side. And you're just thinking, oh no, they're going to rule it out. And, and it just, it, it broke my heart. And I couldn't, I couldn't get over it, man, for the rest of the day, for the rest of the week, even now, it's Monday morning. This happened nearly 48 hours ago. And it's just, it's still painful, man, because it's just, it's just not fair. Well, yeah, that's the thing. It's 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 one thing if if Liverpool fans are all happy at home celebrating the the Derby winner, and you see that he's a yard offside or half a yard offside. That that's not the case here. There was there was there was no um, there was no it was it wasn't clear cut. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, th- these decisions have to be clear cut. There can be no debate about it. Well, the thing it's is, not a go on, sorry. No, no, it's there, there was just no. No matter how they put the lines, there was no clear and obvious way of showing of proving that Mane was offside and he wasn't running towards the goal he was running back towards to receive the pass to to come to put himself you know originally he was from a clear offside position but he was running towards the ball to then run back towards goal so he wasn't running towards towards goal at that point it wasn't like he had a competitive advantage over the defense I, I thought it was really harsh yeah, it, it was. And I suppose the thing about the clear and obvious is that's for overturning a referee decision, but they seem to have different different rules for the offside. You know, the, it's either it's offside or it's not offside in, in VAR's book. And But the thing is, you, you can see them doing it where somebody has to actually manually select on the screen the, the furthest point. So they have to go and they have to click the heel and they have to click the elbow or the shoulder or whatever it is. And that's that's human error. You know, someone... Someone has decided exactly whether it was the outside of the sleeve or whether it was the corner of the elbow or whether it was what, whatever whatever the furthest point was. And they're, and they're using cameras that only capture a certain amount of frames per second. And, and they're trying to freeze that camera on the point where the ball is being kicked. And, and in reality, a football might actually be kicked for, for two frames if it was, you know, if the camera was slightly better and, and he might be, moving on or moving off. And, and I've seen, especially with faster players, like, like Sadio Mane is quick. When he moves, yeah. where he starts in one frame and where he is in the next frame could be two very different places. I've got to say something, man. The, the, the technology they're using for this is not what, what it should be. If no. we compare it with the decisions in tennis and in cricket, where they have the, 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 the DRS system in place, which they use in both, it, and it is flawless. There can be no two ways about it. Yeah. If, you, if, 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 if you, if when they go to the 3D graphic and they're checking the line to see mm-hmm. if the tennis ball is on the on the line or outside or whatever the distance is, you can see it right down to the to the millimeter. And the same in cricket for LBW or for. Uh, well, the, hang on, can I can I yeah. freeze you on the cricket one there for a sec? On the sure, LBW, go ahead. it can be too close to call sometimes. Because and then the, the, that, that there's case natural it goes variation. back to the umpire. And in that case, it goes back to the umpire. Yes. And, in, and, and in this case, it, it has to be the same in, in, in football. But the technology that they have in place at Stockley Park is subpar. It's not up to the standard because, because they can't... We, we as fans viewing it would, would, would be able to accept the decisions if the technology was right. Yeah. If, if, because they'd be able to get that camera... At the, they'd be able to transfer it into a 3D graphic whereby you see the... Um, the line clearly, and you can see whether you you know they, they, they'll be that little. But Joe, I don't think there should be lines at all. I think I think that if for offside, okay, because because there's so many issues w- with cameras and players moving, and exactly you know how thick is their sleeve or or what size boot are they wearing? That that's not what we want to be watching. You know, this this shouldn't be deciding whether it's a goal or not. If if it is a close offside decision, it should be. The, the referee should view it again on a screen with the naked eye. He should have a chance to look at it and say, right, yeah, it's it's too close to call. I'm going to go with what my assistant said. Or, look, I can see he's clearly ahead in front there. You know, I, I can see that now. He is clearly offside. There's no two ways about it. He's offside. Grant, he's done. If it's too close to call, stick with what the decision was. Mm. We because might the- see some... Yeah, sorry. sorry, go ahead. You finish, and then I'll and then I'll go. Yeah, sorry. I just I just the, football isn't about drawing imaginary lines on pitches that 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 nobody seems to understand. 
you know that, that that's not what it's a what it's about that that shouldn't that's not what the technology is for the technology is is to see whether the balls cross the line or it's to go back and pick up these these red card incidents or it's to or it's to rule out goals that there's been a shocking offside decision because we saw some shocking offside decisions before this came in and they, they have been erased and it has done a lot of good you know it, it has made the game fairer in a way but just when we come down to this nitpicking pernickety I, I just don't agree with the lines, Matt. You know, this is the, this is the first time it's happened this year, and we, we may see some positive changes in this regard. In his role, I can't remember his exact job title, but whatever the new role that Arsene Wenger has at FIFA, one of his suggestions that he's just brought out in the last couple of weeks is to give a is to give a make a law that the advantage is to the attacking player in regards to offsides. I feel like so we had that law twenty years ago. Yeah, but in a situation like this, there would be no debate. Mane would be onside. It would be ruled. You know, he could even have a, he yeah. could have a, a, his head could be ahead of the defender and it was still, and I, I think that needs to happen. Yeah, right. We'll move on from the decisions. And I suppose mm. the last thing I want to ask you about Liverpool, obviously Virgil van Dijk is facing an injury that's going to lay him off for probably the entire season. And, and where do you think yes. that leaves Liverpool? Liverpool have to buy a centre-back. I think that they should have bought a centre-back anyway. Uh, letting Dejan Lovren go, who was an important squad member, even if you think he, a lot of people would say he wasn't up to the standard, he was still an important squad member. And um, letting him go and not replacing him is it wasn't the correct idea d- decision. And now Liverpool have, you know, it's, it's okay. It's just two months away, less than two months. But Liverpool have to... Dr- Sorry, just over two months, but Liverpool have to dip into the transfer market for a centre-back. As well as that, I think it's clear that the second-choice goalkeeper, Adrian, is just not up to standard. Again, he's at fault for Everton's first goal. That is a simple save. It's right at him, and he just palms it into the roof of the net. Shocking. It seems that every game he plays, he has a mistake that leads to a goal or a clear goal-scoring opportunity. So not only did Liverpool need to dip into the transfer market in January for a centre-back, I think that you'd be well advised to go and get a a second-choice goalkeeper. Yeah, and I know you did a piece a couple of weeks ago praising Liverpool's transfer business, but I think that they were the two points that that Liverpool fans were making at the start of the season is that they were light with a centre-back. And obviously, having seen Adrian play a few times last year, I think there wasn't a lot of confidence in him already and his performances haven't been great this year I suppose it'll be interesting to see how Liverpool do approach their centre-back issue obviously they do have Gomez and Matic fit at the moment both do struggle mm. with injuries and, and believe it or not they've never actually started a match together uh, in, I believe in it because Van Dijk never misses games he plays he, every game if you remember though he may he missed games or he was rested for games at the Club World Cup last year and do you remember who filled in at center back was it jordan henderson it was jordan henderson and he played yeah. out of his skin there now yeah. i know do you know Fabinho what fabinho I, I, Fabi- I, I said fabinho is your second best center back and i stand by that thing so. the thing about fabinho at center back is that he, he's obviously played along with virgil and when you watch when you watch the way that van dyke plays van dyke is always the deep centre-back and they play a combative centre-back beside him and Fabinho does this really well where he steps up and engages the striker and tries to nick the ball and doesn't let him turn and Gomez does the same thing where they'll step out and challenge the ball whereas Van Dijk is always the last line of defence. Yeah. I think that Henderson can can play that last line of defence role a bit better. He can sit. But he's, and not, he's not as quick. He, he, well, he's actually pretty quick. People people don't give him the credit for it. He's faster than Trent Alexander-Arnold. He'll, he'll tell he's you not that. as quick as Van Dijk though. No, but Van Dijk is rapid, but he, he's not slow. But I think that Henderson's communication and the, like Van Dijk lead sets the line. He sits at the back and he, he controls everything. He talks to everybody. You know, he's always he he sets the line. He he says when we come up, when we come back. And I don't think that Gomez or Matip or even Fabino have those communication skills to to lead that line back. So I think if you if you're playing two of those three together, I think you might have issues communicating with each other. I think that. Liverpool's best option might actually to, to drop Jordan Henderson back in there till January where they can find a communicator because if, if and he can play those passes as well that Van Dijk plays to get them on the front foot you see they give the ball to Van Dijk and he plays that diagonal to Trent and it gets them on the front foot and I think that Henderson is the closest thing to Van Dijk that they actually have and I think that he can play alongside Matip or Gomez that leaves Fabinho to play in the six and then and then you've got Thiago and Wijnaldum or whoever it is in midfield and I think they might actually be Okay, but it'll be interesting to see how obviously Klopp approaches it, whether he has the faith in in Matip and Gomez together or if he decides to drop one of his midfielders back in there. Well, Gomez is quick, so he could hypothetically play that 
Van Dyke role and then Matip can... Oh, Joe, you've heard me talking about Gomez every week on here. I, I know, I know. He, he, anyway. I don't, I, him, I would not trust him and Matip together at the back. I, I just wouldn't. But anyway, look, there was lots of other football happening outside of Liverpool this weekend. Yes. Believe it or not. And we're going we're gonna to cross over to, to North London, Joe. Uh, not to talk about your team, but to talk about the other team. Fantastic yeah. performance from Spurs. You know, they blew us away in the first 15 minutes. I, I, I think me along with half of... Half of the the country in the UK were were on the WhatsApp it's like Jesus lads, Spurs could win the league, you know. They're looking very good if they can do it in the big games. If they can if they can avoid the brain farts at the back, you know. Everyone yeah. everyone better look out. This, this Spurs team are something serious. There they're attacking team. Wow wow wow. And Joe, you, you laughed at me and said, "Listen, do you know who you're talking about?" <laughs> do you yeah, want to... <laughs> I told. I, I I stand by what I said. Spurs could be top by twenty five points at Christmas, and they'd still find a way to fuck it up. <laughs> That's what they do. Spurs haven't won the league since 1961. Come on. It was a total oh, collapse, yeah. wasn't it? And they were even they were it, even scoring on goals, man. They were falling over themselves to, to give it away. It was a great finish by Davinson Sanchez, wasn't it? If any young striker is watching, <laughs> that's how you score a near post post flick on header. Quality finish. No, I mean, it, 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 firstly, I want to give Spurs uh, credit for their... 50 opening display and how they controlled the match for, for the majority of the game. And once again, Harry Kane proving what a, what a great number 10 he is. And, and I definitely think, you know, we saw it when Bell came on in the second half that Kane was the one who was dropping deeper. Kane was actually even playing from an inside right position at one stage. Yeah. Bell through the middle. So I definitely think that, that Kane is going to be the one dropping. And I, and I mean, why not? When he can uh, spray passes like that and his goal was great, he should have had a second. He hit the outside of the post with a great left-footed effort from outside the box. So I think Harry Kane's game is going gonna, is gonna to change and it's already changing and he's going to play a little bit deeper from now on. Um, and he's very good at that. Uh, uh, how, however, how can we not talk about Spurs being 3-0 up at home to West Ham with eight minutes left and drawing 3 all? Yeah, that, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's a complete it, disaster, isn't it? They can't. Yeah, it is. And they can't defend crosses and set pieces. We saw that. It was a good header from Balbuena, but the, the defending was shocking. Again, uh, the, a cross coming in for, for the second and Sanchez doesn't deal with it and he heads it into the back of the net. And then again, not clearing their lines properly from a corner in the last minute of the game. And I mean, talk about the finish from Lanzini. It was world class. You don't see goals scored like that every week. But Spurs could have cleared their lines and they didn't. And it came back to haunt them. Yeah, I think I, I probably want to say a couple of things about this. Now, we're, we're, we're putting, giving Spurs a lot of stick, but I'd also like to give West Ham a lot of credit as well because Definitely. at yeah. 3-0 down for the whole game, they didn't give up. If, even, even early on in the game when they were getting battered, they were still hungry, still fighting for every ball. Like, there were chances that they could have conceded again that, that, would, that would have killed it off. Obviously, Bale, hit the, um, Bale at the end had that chance where he yeah. went through on goal. Harry Kane hit the post early on. Like, Spurs were dominant, but West Ham really dug in they kept fighting. They, they fought right to the end, obviously right to the last kick of the game. Once they got the first one, they got, they got that momentum and, and they went for it. But at the start of the game, when I was messaging you about, about Spurs saying how brilliant they were, I, I did say the only part of the team that there's question marks over are the defence. And yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how Toby Alderweireld is still getting a game in the Premier League. I, I, I know that Jose Mourinho wanted to sign him for Manchester United, but I think that he's only playing him at Spurs to make a point to the Manchester United board about how great this player was because I honestly can't see any other reason for including him in the team do you think they it was kind of a choice do, do we you know Vertonghen is a bit older I think he's 33 now and, and Alderweireld's 30 but they were both in the last year of their contract last season and they made a choice to keep Alderweireld do you think they made the wrong decision or do you think they should have let them both go or would that have left them light on experience at the back maybe Alderweireld shouldn't be starting but he, he's an important part of the squad and he can add a, you know they have young centre-backs they've just signed Joe Roden from, from, from yeah. Swansea obviously well, Sanchez I is pretty young as well so He's probably there for his experience. I mean, he definitely I, is. That's the. I think that obviously Roden was was a good signing for them, and I think that Jose would be keen to get him into the team as, as quickly as possible. He's obviously got a uh, Jeffrey Tanganga as well coming through, who looks like a very promising footballer. So I mean, Jaffet, Jaffet, Did I say Jeffrey? Yeah, you said Jeffrey. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, He's sorry. Good. I like Cheers, him. I like Jeff. Him a lot. I like him a lot. Very, very physical player. Good pace. Good, reads the game well, good footballing brain. Yeah, I think, I think Jose likes him as well. So they, they do have options there. But, I mean, Sanchez 
I'm not totally convinced about him. He does seem like a bit of a loose cannon. He's obviously scoring going goals this weekend as well. He, do, he he is that player that that is a little bit erratic, a little bit all over the place. So he was signed for huge money as well, forty million pounds from Ajax. For yeah. Look, I think it'll be interesting to see how quickly they can integrate Joe Roden into the team um, because they do desperately need some reinforcements there. Obviously, Matt Doherty wasn't in the team. I'm not massively convinced about him as a defensive player playing as part of a back four. And, and Serge Aurier was back in the team. And I think we all know his his shortcomings as a defender. And the goals were all coming from that side. You know, the balls into the box were coming from that right side where where he, he wasn't stopping them. Um, yeah, I think that's... Look, I don't. I, Spurs could have won the game, should have won the game. They had these big chances. West Ham fought right to the end, and I think it was brilliant. They spent a bit of time in the Sky Studio analyzing that Lanzini goal, and yeah. who, who one of the West Ham players got a brilliant block in on Harry Winks, who was trying to charge it down. I'm not sure if you saw that. It was like an NFL block. Man, it's the kind of thing you love to see. You love to see yeah. it. Like if, if your team did it from a set piece, if you if you blocked off a defender to give your team a bit of space, and it's just these kind of things that are so clever, you know. Mm. The fine margins, and, and what a hit from Lanzini as well, man. That, oh, man. The, but this was like the Liverpool moment. I was bouncing up and down screaming for Lanzini in the living room, and I was just waiting for someone to to draw a bloody line across the screen from the ball into the box or something like that. Because it, I just, I, I don't know, man. I, it came back to it, you know. It came back to that for me. Yeah, no, that, that was that was that was a huge goal. That's like I said before. That was one of the best goals. I've, that's one of the best goals I've seen in a long time. Add to that, it was to draw a London derby in the last minute of a game. That was huge. And it's great to see Lanzini playing again. He's had a tired time with injuries and he's a, he's a quality player on his day. So hopefully from a West Ham point of view, he can he can stay fit. And, you know, we were, we were tipping West Ham to maybe struggle and go down. Uh, they've looked all right in the last few weeks. And I think they've looked better than really all right, improved. mate. Yeah, they've really improved. So fair play to West Ham. That's, that's some good work. Right, staying in London, Joe, Chelsea hosted Southampton um, in a game that I think everybody, as much as Southampton have been, have been performing well this season, people people were tipping Chelsea to, to do the business at home. Again, taking the lead, throwing it away. Chelsea, good going forwards, shit going backwards. It, it's the same thing every week for them, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. And we've talked about the coaching or lack of coaching um, for over the past few weeks, they really seem to be relying on their forward players being naturally very, very, very good, having a great front three. I thought Timo Werner had his best game in a Chelsea shirt. He was brilliant, obviously scored two and assisted one. Um, Havertz is looking improved. So they're finding their, their feet in, North, in uh, West London and doing their thing. But it's at the back where the work is just not being done on the training ground. And I mean, it's unacceptable they were 3-1 up and it's unacceptable to be drawing that game. Completely unacceptable. Southampton are not a, are not a great team. Well, look, I mean, credit to Southampton for getting team. back. They, they have some good forwards and credit to them for getting back into it. But at the same time, Chelsea have to be seeing that game out. Well, yeah, what if it was same. Liverpool? What if, what if it was Liverpool for you doing that sort of thing? Or if it was Arsenal, uh, Arsenal would be getting ravaged by the press and rightly so. It's unacceptable yeah. to, as, a, as a big team to be drawing when you have a two or three goal league going into the last 10 minutes. It's completely yeah. unacceptable. It's, 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 it's the about same game as management. It's about, it is the same at Spurs. It's about game management. You have to see the game out. I don't know what the experience, you know, the likes of Azpilicueta, Kante, Jorginho, what are they doing on the, uh, on the pitch to ensure that the, that the team know that they have to protect this lead? It's just not, the, 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 yeah. the communication is not there from the top down. And they're look, they're, they're they're sloppy individual mistakes all over the park as well. I think for the first goal, it, it, as well as Haberth played, he did give the ball away trying to dribble in the middle of the park when, when there were better options to pass. He tried to take on two or three men, lost the ball, one pass then from that. When you lose the ball in the middle third of the park, and I, I, don't, I don't mean around the halfway line, I mean in central areas. When you lose the ball in central areas, you, your team are in trouble. Like he lost it in his own half in a central area. And from the first touch the opposition had, it was it was a through ball through the middle of the defence to, to set up the goal. He, he's got, like, I know he's young, but you can't, it, it was naive from him, you know, to, to I, I don't know, he's trying to be creative, but uh, there are individual mistakes. You, you look at the goalkeeper as well. I know Chelsea fans are, 
there'd be like Liverpool fans saying, look, you know, it's, it's Adrian and goals. Look, it's Kepa in goals. But he's got to do better for, for two out of three of the goals. He should be keeping them out. Yeah, yeah, he should. I mean, the, the most obvious one is the Che Adams equaliser. Yeah. Uh, he, was like it an equaliser he... or is it goal back? But, I uh, think it was the second one. Pa- yeah, it's a terrible pass for Kurt Zuma, but at the same time, Kepa has to do a lot better than that. I, I, I think I find it strange that he's second choice and not third choice. And Caballero's as bad. Every time he plays, he's as bad. Is he? Yeah, is he, he worse is. Than Kepa? No, he's, he's honestly well. He's as bad, if not worse. Honestly, he All is right. as bad. I know that. I know that. Certainly, for City, his save percentage ratio was very, very good. But for no. Chelsea, it's uh, very, very poor. Yeah, and Frank. Fra- he, he, sorry, you go ahead. Yeah, no, Fra- Frank. Frank tried to drop Kepa a couple of times and, and did draft yeah. in Caballero, but Caballero was promptly dropped as well to because he was just rubbish as well. This is where they had to go and sign Mendy, who obviously picked up that injury on, on the international break. And while I mentioned the international break, I would like to just reiterate what a stupid, stupid thing that was to do while I have the, the chance to do it because I, I still can't get over the fact that they were, they were playing international football last week. International friendlies, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm not yeah, having it. I'm not shocking. having it. So, look, same old Chelsea, really good going forwards, really exciting to watch. Timo Werner, like you said, absolutely a joy to watch going forward. Obviously, yeah. got, got his account underway, but they, they just look rubbish at the back, really rubbish. And, and at what stage are people going to start calling for, for Lampard's head? Because he's not learning. No, he's not. And like I said, it's a lack of communication and a lack of discipline from the top down. And that starts with him. And they're not doing the work on the training ground defensively. Uh, at all, I think it's blatantly obvious, and you know the, the 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 remit this year after spending close to three hundred million pounds in this summer, albeit some of that is the hazard money and the fact that they couldn't spend spend last summer, so we do have to take that into account. But at the same time, we know what happens when Roman, Roman Abramovich backs managers; he expects immediate results, and if he doesn't get them, the manager's yeah. head is on the chopping block. Yeah, but and we've spoken about this money as well, though they spend it in the wrong areas. They were good going forwards last year. They could score goals. They were making chances. They needed a striker because they were making chances, but not converting them. So Werner was a good acquisition. And other than Werner, all they needed to do was sign a goalkeeper, which they did do, and a centre-back or two centre-backs. But what they've done is they signed a... I mean, Mendy might be very good, but he's not what you call an elite signing he does he's not a Werner or Havertz where you're like wow that's a big that's a big yeah, but they, they needed a keeper and, and they got one in no 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 but what I'm saying is that in regards to their defense and their keeper which were the two most pressing areas maybe along with a the striker they didn't go out and spend the you know they brought in a 36 year old Thiago Silva on a free transfer from Paris Saint-Germain that's not you know that's not the sort of backing they needed in defense they needed to get that you know, they, they could have got out, gone and got a day out up a Meccano or someone like that who was available for £40 million. Um, and, and they didn't. Yeah, I, I don't know if he was. I think he will be available next summer for £36 oh, he was. million. Oh, was he? He was, yeah. Yeah, it might have been for 50 but yeah, it's, it's a lower it's a lower fee this, this coming summer. But, you know, there okay. are options out there and they didn't go and strengthen them properly in that department. Right, well, we're talking about London teams that that don't know how to defend, but let, let's flick over to your team, Joe. A, a London team that actually have the second best defensive record in the league, surprisingly, considering they, they've been to the Etihad and they've been to Anfield already. Normally, we associate Arsenal with, with free-flowing attacking football, but I think the, the complaint from some Arsenal fans this year is that they're being almost too conservative. How do you feel about that? It's a difficult balance for our title to strike. I completely agree that the, the first remit when he came in, and we saw this with the amount of draws that Arsenal got in the second half of last season, is that they were very defensive. The first thing that he's decided is that we don't concede goals or we concede as, as few as possible, which is what was needed. I mean, all of the criticism that was leveled at Arsenal over the last few seasons is Arsenal can't defend. Jamie Carragher famously said these players are uncoachable at the back, but Arteta has proved that they are coachable because the defensive record has improved. However, when you look at the players that Arsenal have in wide areas, Aubameyang and Pepe playing on the weekend, when you look at the fact that Manchester City play a high line, the only actual centre-back they played was Ruben Diaz. Everyone else was pushing up. It was like a 1-3-2-3-1. Very strange formation. And you have Xhaka and Ceballos and David Luiz who are, and Gabriel Magalhaes who are all more than capable of pinging balls into unrunging wide players. But they're not allowed to do that. Yeah, and he's, I think he's in, he's enforcing this uh, build-up play, 
this tedious build-up play, which results in a very specific type of goal being scored. And he's not allowing them to play uh, direct balls over the top to Aubameyang and Pepe, which is what Aubameyang and Pepe feed off. That's, that's how they're at their best. And it, it doesn't bring out the best in those two in particular. And I think that's an issue that needs to be looked at immediately. I think that in normal circumstances, his idea of how Arsenal, how they want to play football is right. Because in most games, Arsenal will have more of the ball and teams will sit deep and they will have to break them down. But we've seen so many teams over the last two years actually go and beat Manchester City because they're not, they're not invincible anymore. We, we even saw Norwich go there last year. And like you said, just sit deep and, and pick a couple of balls over the top. And, and, and everybody knows that space is there against Manchester City and they don't have, the, like Liverpool played at a high line, but they don't have that recovery pace in, in Joe Gomez and Virgil van Dijk that, that Liverpool have, you know. They, they don't have these, these sprinters that can catch up with the lead forwards like, like Aubameyang or like Pepe or, or, or even like William, whoever it is, getting in behind. And I think that he, he's just got a bit too wrapped up in the, in the tactical battle with, with Pep, whereas he could have just mm. simplified things a little bit just just sat deep, you know, giving yourself that protection and just just chipped them. That's that's what Arsenal did against Liverpool. Uh, like the, the last few times I remember Arsenal playing Liverpool is that Arsenal sat deep and hit balls over the top. Do you think I think maybe I don't know I don't know what you think, but because it was Pep, he wanted to show that he could oust, you know, that he could be Possibly. the tactical genius. And it was a lot of people were saying and correctly, it was more like a chess match than a football match. It was these, these it, or a poker it, it, match. It was as slow as a chess match. It wasn't a great watch, was it? No, it wasn't. Um, I don't really like that type of football. I've never been over uh, uh, too much of a fan of Guardiola. And I I do like Arteta because he's he's something new for Arsenal. But I don't really like it when people are too tactical in that regard. And and it just struck me as being a little bit too... Feeling like you're a little bit cleverer than you actually are. Okay, well, let's talk about Pep and City for a minute. They, they, they won the game w- without Kevin De Bruyne, who's obviously their, their talisman. Uh, Raheem Sterling scored a goal. That, that brings his tally to something like 39 goals since the start of last season in, in all competitions, which, which is the most out of any player that plays for um, an English team. Very good player. I mean, his rise over the last few years is phenomenal. He was captain of Man City the other day. I've never seen him be captain of them before. So he obviously he's obviously seen as a leader as well there, which is just a, a testament to how much he's come on in the last few seasons. Um, that, that was City's only real great chance. Like, it was a very tight, tedious game of football to watch. But uh, Foden got in behind Bellerin, uh, cut inside him way too easily. And for all the good Bird Leno does, the shot's pretty at a pretty comfortable height for him not to not in the corner and he punches it he palms it back r- right into the goal mouth it's a poor save for me you have to be pushing that wide or out towards the corner flag and you know sterling had an easy finish yeah i i, I i'd agree with you there but at the same time they're, they're clinical though when they do get their chances they, they they did punish arsenal they did take their chance and uh, like I, I, I suppose what I'm going to—I'm trying to figure out what I'm trying to say. How good are City? Is is basically the question I have for you? Are, are they still up there as the team to beat in England, especially now that Liverpool have lost Van Dijk? Are are people turning their attention to City again, saying this is the team to beat? They're definitely one of the teams to beat. I, I mean, you know, they, they got hammered at home by Leicester, but we 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 with the Premier League, we're very quick to dismiss players and teams and managers Very when, they suffer, when they suffer one defeat <laughs> I think if City win let, sorry let me just check the, the league table I have the fixtures open uh, but I think if City win they go level with Liverpool hand, in second they, yeah that's it yeah I mean come on yeah so they're, they're set seven points a goal difference or sorry or third because, because Villa and Everton are ahead now so they'll go level that, third with Liverpool they, they'll go level third with Liverpool and they'll be on a better goal difference than Liverpool well, it's because of the seven goals at Villa, but yeah, they have, a, they have a zero goal difference. And yeah, you know, City going level with Liverpool, they're right in it. They're right in it. Yeah. <laughs> everything's, to, everything's, everything's to play for at this stage of the season. We're get, Everyone's getting way too knee-jerky. Uh, the team to beat, obviously, are Aston Villa. They are. Only, only two teams in Europe's top five leagues have a, a 100% record. Aston Villa and AC Milan. That's the Zlatan effect, isn't it? But I mean, Villa, maybe we can talk about them now. That that was a, a great win away to Leicester. And they've only conceded two goals in the league. 
They have a goal difference of plus 10. Yeah, for a team that, that, that were so heavily criticised for their inability to defend last year, I think Dean Smith yeah. has, has identified the problems and he seems to have gone out and fixed them. The goalkeeper, the goalkeeper's definitely helped as well. Emiliano Martinez is a very good goalkeeper. A lot of Arsenal fans will tell you that he's better than Bert Leno and that we stole the wrong keeper. Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a great keeper. And I, I said it after the Liverpool game, Ross Barkley has changed how they're, the Aston Villa are playing. And he was brilliant against Liverpool. He, those runs he was making in behind, and he was brilliant against Leicester yesterday in his yeah, goal. He was, he was very, very good yesterday. Absolute peach. I mean, he, he, he beats a man, he gives himself space, and it, it's as if he's, he's, he's taking a penalty. But he's from 25, 30 yards out. He just slots it away into the into the bottom bottom left hand corner. It was a great strike, and yeah, yeah well, I think Chelsea. We, I don't know. Will Chelsea be missing him over the course of the season if he's playing like that? I don't think they will because they've got so many options in that area, and he's not going to get in ahead of Kai Havertz in, in the same position. But I think it's it's been a great move for him, and he might even play himself back into the England squad for for the Euros next summer if he continues to play like this. I think Jack yeah. Grealish is enjoying playing with it with another player that that can be another outlet for Villa. Because we saw last year that Villa's only outlet was to give the ball to Jack Grealish and hope that he could he could run the pitch and do something. But when they have other midfield options, other midfielders that can get on the ball, can turn, go forwards, carry it, not just John McGinn, who, who's, who's going to bounce the ball straight backwards or, or try turn and kick a long ball. You know, someone that can actually, is brave enough to get the ball in midfield in those tight spaces and, and, and try to do something with it. I think he's benefiting massively. They are there benefiting massively as well. We forgot his name last week, but Ollie Watkins, Looks like a yeah. looks like a real player as well. Yeah, he does. He, I, I mean, what Villa have done so sensibly is that they've bought some of the championship's best players, and that is a very effective way of going about your business. The championship is a league that needs to be utilised way more from Premier League clubs. It's a highly competitive league. I would put the championship in the top ten leagues in the world. Yeah, I, th- I think you're probably, you're probably right. Saying that, but but I, I think it is. It's, it's well, once, so once you look. Once you look outside of the top five leagues, I, I really don't know what would rival the championship, to be honest. I mean, it's not going to be the Russian league, is it? Or the Portuguese league or the Eredivisie? No, I, I think that, you know, I would, would Brentford beat a couple of the most of the Portuguese teams? 100%. They'd be really good. I mean, I think they'd probably beat Sporting Lisbon. Porto and Benfica are better, but they could probably come third in, in the Portuguese league. Yeah, they probably win the Scottish League. They definitely win the Scottish <laughs> League. <laughs> they definitely win the Scottish League. Yeah, no, for sure. I, 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 we criticised Villa last year for their spending not being right. Rightly, rightly so. so. Yeah, rightly so. It's all changed this year. They bought very, very well. Uh, they've obviously got Barkley in on loan, which is a great signing. And I really hope for the sake of the league that they can... And I like Aston Villa. I was, they're, they're a traditional English club. Anyone who's, who grew up watching the Premier League in the 90s knows that Aston Villa are, are, are one of the top clubs in, in English football. They have a great history. And it's, you know, it'll be great to see them get back to, to finishing in the top half of the table. But Maybe this, even cracking the top six. This is what makes what we were talking about last week so utterly ridiculous, where we were talking about project big picture and Aston Villa not yes. being given voting rights. As, as former European champions, as one of the biggest teams in England, the biggest team in the Midlands, man. Like, you know, yeah. the, the biggest team in Birmingham, the, which is the second, obviously the second biggest city in the UK. Like These early founders of the Premier League. I can't remember the name of their original owner or manager. He, I think he was Scottish, but he... I can't remember his name, but he was literally the founder of the football league. They're, they're one of the biggest teams in 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 the UK. One of the one of the, traditionally one of the biggest teams in in Europe, man. Yeah, yeah. What like okay? What 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 is the where's the limit for them this season? Sky's the limit. We've seen oh, that with Leicester. Leicester City, yeah. If you man, if you get on a run and if you get your team believing every week, and if you get other teams being wary of them Liverpool did it last year Liverpool had teams beaten before they even went into games last year exactly and Leicester did it when they won the league teams were petrified of Riyad Mahrez and Jamie Vardy and it's going to be the same with with Jack Grealish Ollie Watkins and uh, Ross Barkley I'm getting ahead of myself no the the sky but seriously the sky is the limit because if you we've seen it in, in the past if you get on a run like that there's no stopping you especially when you're keeping clean sheets Yes, especially when you're when you're tough to, to break down. Yeah, hundred percent. Right. Well, you've jumped the jumped the running order there a little bit. We'll we'll mention Leicester maybe quickly before we move on. They they looked pretty rubbish without Jamie Vardy. 
Mm, they really do. Kalechi Hernacho is not the same type of striker. He's a plan B striker. He's not a, a replacement for Vardy in terms of the fact that he changes their, their whole style of play. And it's, they, they, can't, they can't counterattack in the way that they want to. And Leicester are going to struggle this season with the number of games that they're going to be required to play. And the fact that the investment over the summer for them was subpar, to say the least. Timothy Constanier looks a good player. He looks a really good side, player. He, he does, and he can play in a number of positions. Obviously, he plays in midfield for Belgium. He's played wing-back or full-back for Leicester. Um, that aside, I think their business was poor, and they, uh, they're they going to struggle this season to, to deal with the number of games they have to play in two very tough competitions. I suppose the thing with Leicester, and we, we've said this the last couple of years, is they obviously need to go and, and buy, a, uh, buy a backup striker for Jamie Vardy. But mm. whoever they buy is going to be exactly that, a backup striker for Jamie Vardy. And it's very difficult to mm. go out as, as, a, as a mid-table, upper mid-table Premier League team and attract a world-class striker to play second fiddle. Yeah, it is. It is. It's not an impossible. So, they, 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 but, but, but the thing is, Shouldn't think, they have if, someone if on they, the bench who I can think play if, in the same style as Jamie I, Vardy? I think if they want to move forward, man, at any football club, if you want to move forward, do you make signings for your bench or do you make signings for your first team? First team. You, you sign someone that's going to rival Jamie Vardy for that number nine spot because he is getting on and the Leicester fans love him and he's a talisman there. And of course, he has to play, but mm. you, you, you bring someone in that's going to challenge him, you know? Yeah. Because he is going to miss games. They are going to need to rest him. They are going to need to rotate him. You've got to have competition for places if you want to be a top team. If Leicester are happy finishing upper mid-table, challenging for Europa League spots, yeah, sure, don't sign a backup. You know, you'll probably pick up enough points to be in and around there somewhere. But if you genuinely want to be... Like, look at the teams at the top of the pyramid right now. Look at how strong some of the Premier League teams are right now. They've got to be better. They've got to go out and sign some world-class players if they want to be up there. And they do want to be up there. Of course, of course they do. That's what Brendan Rodgers signed up for. That's the, that's the goal. The owners are ambitious as well. Right. Teams that want to be up there as well. Manchester United uh, beat Newcastle comfortably in the end. They made tough work yes. of it. Obviously won one till, till about 75 minutes or so, but they did, they did score a few at the end. And Bruno Fernandes looked really, really good again. Their best player was Marcus Rashford by a country mile. He was brilliant. He, I think he had two assists and then he scored the, the last goal. Uh, he, he was just unplayable for Newcastle. They couldn't deal with his runs, with his pace. He also won the penalty. He was just, he was, he was, on, he was on top form. And uh, someone on this show needs to eat humble pie in regards to Marcus Rashford because he, was, he, he had a great game. Maybe. And Newcastle are not an easy, easy team to play against. Yeah, and look, you're, you're right. It may, I, I don't, I don't feel like I owe him an apology because he, he's he's not been playing well this season. I, I was I was per perfectly entitled to say what I said about him last season because he he shouldn't have been in the England team on form because he hadn't been playing well. And you know what? He, yeah, he he's played a good game of football against a team that are difficult to break down. Yeah, and but he's meant to play like that every week. And he hasn't yeah. been playing like that. <laughs> he's their number 10 in terms of the shirt number he wears. He uh, He's on, I think, about 180, 200,000 pounds a week. There's obviously big expectations. So we should be seeing him play like that. We should see him play like that every week. I just like him a lot as a player. Uh, he obviously plays for a club I, we, neither of us have a lot of time for. But I think he's really talented. And but I he, like seeing young players fulfill their potential, even if they're playing for a, a club that I despise. Yeah, and look, he's an exciting footballer. He gets on the ball. He's not afraid to go at people, to take them on, to throw, to throw a couple of tricks and try to get past someone. He's not afraid to shoot from anywhere. I think his link up with Bruno Fernandes, that they, they really are developing a, a partnership. That, that's really nice. Bruno's always yeah. looking to play him in from deep or, or he's overlapping, like we saw with, with, that, with Bruno's goal in the top corner. They're, they're looking for the one-twos and the overlaps. Yeah. And it's really good. And man, Jose was right. He's a winger. He's not a striker. He's a winger. Of course, he's a winger. But that, you know, that's you know, United do need to solve that number nine issue. Obviously, um, I, I went to say Falcao, Cavani has has started training with United for the first time this week. Are they not, are they not the same person? As, oh, mate, as, far, as far as Ed Woodward is concerned, they are. Yeah. Um, I'd like to say as well that Donny van der Beek changed the game for Manchester United when he came on. It was 1-1 when he came on and he seemed to actually be the catalyst for, for them moving the ball that little bit quicker and, and occupying uh, better areas in midfield. So that's that's really strange. You're, you're, meaning, you're trying to tell me that Scott McTominay and Fred weren't allowing United to play in a quick, progressive style. 
No, believe it or not, the game was the game in Newcastle. Yes. Yeah. So, and a trip to St James's Park, maybe approaching the game with two defensive midfielders, wasn't did, didn't encourage the most open game of football. It's a strange one to comprehend, I know, but yeah, going going somewhere that that's tough to go like that against a team that are going to sit deep and, and be so hard to break down. It it, it, it didn't. It, it actually it actually changed the game when they they brought on an extra attacking player rather than being incredibly defensive. For sure. I mean, this is Steve Bruce's Newcastle, not Kevin Keegan's Newcastle we're talking about. Yeah. Um, Pogba wasn't great again. Yeah, again, he was left out as well, wasn't he? Um, he they've triggered an extension in his contract, so he's going to be there for another two years. What, what they might decide, what that gives them the license to, is to sell him in the summer, doesn't it? It means that Yeah, to, to recoup some, some fees on him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, another derby this weekend, Joe. Big, big derby weekend at uh, the A23 derby. Massive derby. Uh, now, you, 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 are, you, yeah, you were telling me about this derby before the game. You're a big fan uh, of it being considered a derby. Yeah, pr- practically a stone. You can practically kick a ball from Selhurst Park to the Amex, can't you? Oh, wait What's a it? second. No, they're 40 <laughs> miles away from each other. <laughs> uh, I don't know. The, the history behind it is about battling for promotion to the first division in the 1970s, I think. And at the time, uh, uh, Palace were the closest team in the division to Brighton. So that was the thinking behind the derby. Uh, and I mean, any you're entitled, it's entitled to be a derby, but it's just, it doesn't really make that much sense to us here at PFP, I don't think. Um, and... What can I say about the game? Not especially uh, good. Pa- pa- Palace were pretty good. Batshuayi had a goal ruled out for offside when he when he was yeah offside, mar- marginally offside. But yeah, marginally, that, he, was, he, he was offside though, and it was a good finish. He, he, he was offside, and it was a good finish. Palace looked all right, uh, but they allowed Brighton to equalise um, with a reasonably well taken goal. I think it was deflected. Did and you settled in? Sorry. Yeah. Did, sorry. Go ahead. Did you see the the penalty that Palace were awarded? Lamptey's foul. If yes, it, I watched it. I watched yes. it. What do you think it was a penalty? Lam- Zaha has penalty. Yeah, Lamptey was deemed to have hands on his back. There wasn't a whole lot of pulling, but yes, you can't do that. We talked about this. Um, I think it was it was last was week. Was for, it Henderson for England? Yeah, yeah, I think it was Henderson for England. Yeah, when Henderson went down. Um, in, in the box under Thomas Munoz you can't do that you give the forward a license to go down and even if they don't go down if you have your hands on someone's back it's just not allowed that's clear cut that's a letter of the law it's yeah. ridiculous to be doing that I don't care if it's soft or, or, if, or if it's not a trip or a kick or something like that or a blatant tug if you put your hands on the defender uh, sorry on, on, the, on the striker you're giving them every chance to go down and by the letter of the law it's a foul I understand what you're saying. I really do. But I don't I don't even think that there was a, a grab or a push. I think that the strikers backed into into Lamptey and all he's done is actually put his hands up just to just to take that impact. Yeah, but you can't do that. I know. Keep your hands behind your back. What would you do? I mean, I mean man, if, if we were playing and you conceded a penalty like that, I you know, I'd be laying I'd be brave. What are you doing? Keep your hands. you're not allowed to put your hands on the other player. It's 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 really easy. It's not like the handball law. Where it's difficult yeah. to get, you know, you're not jumping, you're not able to jump. It's really easy not to put your hand on someone else's shoulders. I suppose this is the thing about playing fullbacks that are so small. Lamptey's what mm. five foot six or five foot eight or something like that, and your fullback is required to to mark the back post like that. And I suppose if there's any sort of physical presence in the box, they're not going to be able to take that impact with their body weight. Like he would have been barreled over and lost the header if if he didn't try and make some sort of some sort of contact and, and maybe it's the kind of thing that they might have issues with or actually crosses coming in like that on, on top of them because I think that the, I, as a striker I'd be really fancying my chances at the back post coming up against a fullback like that yeah no of course of course but that's just something that you have to deal with if you're at a, a height disadvantage yeah, but I suppose what are you, you going to do? Are you, are you, are you, you, can't, you can't be committing a foul just to deal with it but what are you, are you going to just let him jump over you and score no, you have to find another way around it. I don't know off the top of my head. I'm not a short. Neither of us are short, so we wouldn't have that issue. We're, we'd, we'd be the big lad in the back post winning the header and scoring. <laughs> um, but I mean, we have to talk about Lewis Dove's red card at the end. That was a oh, please. Yeah, that was look, comical. It, it was, was like it was like in FIFA where you accidentally press slide tackle instead of shoot or clear. Yeah. And 
It's, it's not like his momentum took him through the tackle or, or he mistimed it massively. He, he was standing still and he just seemed to leap into the air. And I think we, we've played a couple of kickabouts before where we, we started joking, trying to badly injure our mates, kicking them like that. And it just yes. it just looked like he had no intention other than trying to kick someone on the ankles with a really hilariously poorly timed two-footed lunge. Wouldn't be a derby without a bit of... Uh... But without he, getting stuck in, <laughs> but he straight he was apologetic straight away, and he seemed he seemed yeah. to just understand what an utter brain fart that was. And thank, thankfully, there was no serious injury caused to Cahill because it was an awful tackle. But because he was okay, it was actually hilarious. It was, and that's it. It was just a brain fart. He just lost his head. He, like I, I, I've never seen Lewis. Lewis Dunk is usually really composed. Yeah, and I can I I can almost understand what he was trying to do. He thought Cahill was going to clear it, and he was trying to make himself as big as possible in the tackle, and, and hopefully Cahill would kick the ball into him, and, and then the ball would deflect back towards the goal because it was a bit of a scramble, and like you said, last minute in a in a derby, um, tr- trying to make something happen. But it was just it's just stupid, ridiculous, and now he's going to miss the next three games for his team. Yeah, and he's a key player. He's their captain. All right, there was one other game this weekend. Sheffield United hosted Fulham in a game that I'd really prefer not to spend too much time talking about. Uh, it'll yeah. be interesting to see if either of those teams can can beat the drop. We we said we said ourselves yesterday that there are four really awful teams in the Premier League this year. Those two, Burnley and West Brom, West Brom. go head to head this evening. Yeah, so I mean, one of those teams, one of those teams is going to have to stay up. Um, but I really don't know if it's going to be either of those teams ha- having having watched that game. What were, what were your thoughts on it? I think Fulham will be kicking themselves for not winning. Obviously, Mitrovic missed a penalty. Uh, Adamola Luckman is a very good player, and he took his goal exceptionally well. I've always liked him as a player. He never he was at Everton, and he never really got a chance. But when he yeah. went to Germany for a very good RB Leipzig, he did the business over there. So it's very strange for me when you have players like that and I suppose the same with Reese Nelson going to Hoffenheim and having a very productive loan spell and then coming back to the Premier League and not getting a look in in their teams or not being able to cut it. I've, I find the Bundesliga and the Premier League quite similar. They're both at a very good standard. I think the Bundesliga is very competitive. Um, so when you have a young player, a long, young attacking player going to the Bundesliga and doing so well and being productive in t- terms of goals and assists and then not, not translating back in the Premier League, it's, it's strange. So it was nice to see Luckman play so well and score such a good goal and he could be I think it'll be too too much for him alone to keep Fulham in the Premier League and if Mitrovic keeps on blazing penalties over the bar like that they're not going to have much of a chance that was shocking it's it, honestly it's inex- inexcusable for an experienced striker like that playing for a club who need goals and need and rely on him to be smashing the ball over the bar like that that was a disgraceful penalty it's just not good enough no, it, it really isn't. And you mentioned Luckman there. And I suppose it must be difficult, though, coming into a team that are as bad as Fulham. You know, that's the other sort of things. You, you, there's only so much that one player can actually do, especially especially a wide player like that that relies on on really good service, you know, or, or maybe maybe yeah. fits, a, fits a system or a style really, really well. I don't think that the coaching at Fulham is is top uh, quality. Um, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think that the quality <laughs> around them is, is top quality either. So I, I don't know how much one kind of quick attacking player is going to help them. But it, look, we'll, we'll keep an eye on for the season and obviously obviously wishing the best. But at the same time, what are Sheffield United doing, dropping points at home to Fulham? Yeah, no, it's inexcusable again from, from, from their point of view. And like I said, they were lucky to get a point. Fulham should have had the game dead and buried. Sheffield United look rubbish. They are so poor this year. The drop-off from last year. I mean, I never thought they were going to be doing as well this year but to be this bad after showing the the, the kind of time the team that they could be last year is really worrying for Chris Wilder and I mean the investment hasn't been there at all has it like no Burnley, they just didn't put anything into the squad over the summer it hasn't I suppose they're at their only possible saving grace is you might remember in Wolves second season they got off to a really poor start as well they they were just massively burned out I think from from the first season no but Wolves have a, had, had a team who I mean they had players like Joao Moutinho who were playing yeah. Champions League football 
of European champion in terms of winning the Euros with Portugal. Wolves, I don't think, are comparable to Sheffield United because even when they're coming out of the championship, their squad they, was better than most Premier League. They squad. invested massively as well, didn't they? They did. Yeah. No. Well, well, I, I, they did get off to a, to a good to a bad start in their second season uh, last season, uh, but um, and they've got off to a bad start this season. Maybe they just get off to bad starts. I, I just think Sheffield United don't have a, a good enough squad to be getting off to a start like this. I just don't see them being able to play catch-up. Well, look, hang on. I, I, let's, let's not get too carried away because, like we said, there are three genuinely appalling teams and three other genuinely appalling teams in the Premier League. So they, they're four. not going to have... Four. Well, I said three other. So they're oh, not sorry, gonna, three other. Sorry, sorry uh, yeah. You're saying they might not be able to play catch-up, but at the moment, they're still only one point off, off, off safety. So it's not, it's, not, it's not a massive task for them to... To, to gain that ground back, you know. Um, I was saying yesterday, I can see West Brom maybe beating a few of the teams in and around them uh, and edging it out, but I don't. it's difficult to see any of those four teams beating or taking points off, off anybody above them. Normally, you'd back Burnley to, to, you know, be tough to beat at home and, and pick up a few points on the road, but their squad just looks so terrible this year. Yeah, it is. It's, it's really bad. You look at their bench and they literally have nothing. I, I mean, nothing. They, they, they've just had their best players leave and not bring in any replacements over the last few years, and it's just. I wouldn't. Just I wouldn't be massively it. surprised to see somebody like Liverpool come in and take uh, Tarkovsky um, in January either as well, because if you look around at, at experienced Premier League centre halves, that 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 might be looking for a new club. I think his, his name definitely jumps off um, the the top of the list. Yeah. Um, because you'd get them as well if you bid 40 million pounds, I'm sure they'd sell. They're desperate even if for it was money. deadline day and they couldn't get a replacement, I think they'd probably sell. I think you're probably right because they're, they're, it could well be a point in January that they're already resigned to going down, um, and, and they know they'll lose them at the end of the season anyway. So, look, I think things could go from bad to worse for Bernie very quickly, unless, unless they can turn things around quickly and start picking up points. Because if they can go into January. Uh, with a bit of with a bit of distance from the drop zone, or, or looking like they have a chance of staying up, they might be able to hold on to a couple of the key players that they do have left and, and see it this season um, somehow. And, and hopefully, I think there was talk of maybe some investment coming into the club or a takeover. And if they can, if they can somehow get through this season and stay in the league, there still maybe is hope for for Burnley next season. Yeah, it's all it's all about this season, though, isn't it? For for all four of those clubs, it's going to be tough for them. It'll be interesting to see what happens tonight. Yeah, a couple of good games. I'm, I'm looking forward to both of them. Me too, man. I love seeing. I love watching Wolves play, and obviously looking forward to to seeing if West Brom can get can get their first win in the season, or if Burnley can. I'd be rooting for West Brom in that game. I like Village as a manager and as and a Euro- person. And European football is back this week. European football is back this week. Yeah, and look yeah. look at that big smile there as well, man. Look, I, I know that. Man, look at the amount of football we have at the moment. Listen, we're about to go into a level four slash five in Ireland, which is going to close down gyms and shops and everything like that. So you know, completely ban meeting with meeting other people. So uh, as long as we have football, I think it's going to be manageable. I think that's a great way to end the show, Joe. Thanks very much for joining me this morning. Pleasure, Rafe. Great to chat. Oh, before we go, and is there anything, guys? As always, don't forget. <laughs> to smash a like on the video, share the content around, subscribe to the channel if you are new, tell your friends and family to subscribe. They'll love us. We love chatting about football and we release content twice a week. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to our socials as well. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Brilliant. Thanks, Joe. The, the pods are also available on Spotify as well, if anybody prefers the, the audio format rather than staring at our ugly mugs for an hour every week. <laughs> <laughs> right, goodbye.